All right. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy, happy New Year. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm privileged to fill in for Pastor Rob this morning. He texted saying that he's not feeling well. He has that severe chest cough going on. So I have the privilege of leading us in our first Sunday morning together in the new year, and I'm blessed to do so. Let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, we'll read a passage together, then pray for our time and also for healing for Pastor Rob. Sound great? Okay, here we go. Hebrews chapter 2. Today's message is a timely warning. The title is a timely warning, and I hope it is an encouragement for all of us heading into the new year, especially for those who have made uh, maybe vows or resolutions to draw near to the Lord or to be close to the Lord or or pray more or, or, or read more. I hope that this is a word of encouragement and instruction to you. I know that I've been blessed by this passage countless times, and I'm excited to share with you. Hebrews chapter 2, we'll read one verse. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, then we'll pray. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your living word. We thank you that we've had this opportunity to gather to sit under, Lord, your teaching. I pray, Jesus, that the word would be our authority, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would disciple us. We, Lord, we pray for a blessing and healing over Pastor Rob right now. I pray, Jesus, would you touch, Lord, his chest with the cough be gone in the name of Jesus right now. We pray, Lord, for full restoration and strength, even as he listens online or listens a bit later. Lord, would you bless him and the Salvato family. We ask, Lord, that you would tune our ears to you, Lord, we want to hear you. Lord, we want to see you move in our life. Lord, we, we, we give you space to do so right now. In Jesus' name, we pray and we say, amen. amen, amen. Well, part of the privileges of being on the youth ministry team here is that we go to the beach a lot, right, youth? We go to the beach a lot. Yeah, so uh, for young adults, we have our Bible study in the summers at the Warm Waters Beach on Tuesday nights. And on Thursday nights, we have a youth group at the beach, Warm Waters, on Thursday nights. And so at least two times a week in the summer, we're there at the beach. Believe it or not, this is my winter coat. I know, Beyonce in the winter, right? Uh, but... Um, yeah, I love being out at the beach. I love swimming in the ocean. Unfortunately, this past summer, I got stung by a stingray for the first time. Anyone else been stung by a stingray? The worst pain of my life. Okay, I don't know. It, yeah. Anyways, I've been, uh, you know, the, the stingray shuffle, right? And uh, that's my new routine. But I also just like to float there because stingrays can't get me if I'm not standing, right? So I'm floating around, and it reminds me of this passage because we're going to be talking about drifting. Okay, drifting, not physically, but spiritually drifting, which also can actually end up into physical drifting away. So I have a warning for us as we enter into this new year, a warning from God's word uh, given to us in Hebrews chapter 2. And I want to outline our time together with first understanding the warning and who it's given to in the context of the book of Hebrews, how it applies to our lives. Number two, a word of instruction that we're supposed to give heed. Number three, a wonderful grace. 
understanding the brilliance of Jesus. And then number four, application. How do we apply this to our lives? And then we'll end with a time of response and worship and in communion together. So let's look at number one, this warning. Read with me Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard lest we drift away. Here's the reason. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So here we have in the book of Hebrews its first Warning. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Hebrews, it was written by the Holy Spirit and a human author. He is unnamed, but he writes this letter as an argument as to why you should not leave Jesus. You see, in the context of, of, of where this book was written, the Christians, the Jewish Christians, were under a, a immense persecution. At that time, Emperor Nero was governing over the lands, and he hated Christians. If you look up anything about Emperor Nero, it's kind of graphic, but he persecuted Christians. He, he killed Christians. It was said that in his walkway to his palace, he would align Christians on stakes and light them on fire as human torches. And so this is the persecution that they were under. And the persecution said this, deny Christ, go back to Judaism, don't create a problem, and live or stick with Jesus and suffer the consequences no matter what they may be. And the author of Hebrews writes this book saying, even if you suffer for Christ, it's better to be with him than to leave so great a salvation because nothing else, no one else can satisfy but Jesus alone. So the author writes the book of Hebrews to show us the brilliance, the beauty, the majesty of Jesus with the hope and the motive of as we look at him, we would choose to not drift away. And this is a timely warning for us. I know that many of us, including myself, have made resolutions. I'm going to be with the Lord. I'm going to be used by the Lord. I'm going to pray with the Lord. I'm going to read the word. And that's beautiful. And I think this warning is a timely warning for all of us to keep in mind as we fulfill those resolutions. Number one about drifting it says to, we, we need to give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard, lest we drift away. So this is a warning against drifting, but it's also against the consequences, a warning against the consequences of neglecting a great salvation, our great salvation. Neglecting the privileges of what it is to be a child, a son and daughter of the King, God the Father. There's a real warning against drifting, but also missing out and living beneath your privileges as a child of God. I, I, what comes to mind is the, the story of the prodigal son. He was a son, but he left the comforts, the provision, the protection of his father and the benefits of being with him and chased his own dreams in a far-off country. He willfully drifted away. He spiritually drifted away, which ended up in a physical drifting away, and, and more about that story later on. But he was a son, but he wasn't experiencing the benefits as a son. Same thing with us. We can be children of God, but drift away from this place with God the Father that is our protection, our comfort, our good. To drift away, it's actually interesting to note that this is the only time this phrase or this word is used in the entire New Testament. 
So he's using strong language. Pay attention to this, the Holy Spirit is saying. This is a warning for your good out of love, right? Warnings are given out of love. Don't do that because there's a real threat. I want your best. I have your interests in mind. So don't do what I'm about to say. The Holy Spirit is communicating. We need to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away, lest we live beneath our privileges as a child of God. It's wise to note that spiritual drifting is natural, but it is not helpful. It's perfectly human to spiritually drift away, but it is not helpful. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5 together. Galatians chapter 5. Paul would write to the church in the Galatia regions that there is an inward war going on in our hearts, in our souls. It's the battle of the flesh versus the spirit. So Galatians chapter 5, Galatians 5 verses 16 and 17, Paul says this, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. So as believers, Paul's writing to the church, we have to understand there is an inward battle, the flesh versus the spirit. And it's a constant battle. If we continue to give into the flesh, we feed into this drift and it's a natural drift. All I need to do to drift is really to wake up. The flesh takes over without careful attention to the spirit to walk in the spirit. I will naturally drift away. My flesh will take over. We call it the me monster, right? The me monster, unless we're taking up our cross, denying ourselves and following after him, the me monster wants to establish its own kingdom, its own way, its own agenda against the will of the father. And this is all of our natural tendency. But in Christ, we now have a choice whether to walk in the spirit or walk into the flesh. This warning for us helps us to and encourages us to walk in the spirit. So as believers, there's a wrestling match going on. We're constantly fighting against the current of our flesh, the current of the world, the current of the temptation given by the enemy. And drifting, again, if we're not careful, will happen surely but slowly over time. Have you ever been in that, relation, that spot in your relationship with the Lord where it's, yeah, we're, we're here. This is great, Lord. I, I feel you. I hear you. And because you're not investing in your time in a relationship with him, you just start to slowly drift. It's harder to hear his voice. It's harder to feel his peace. It's harder to have joy in those trials. Unless we're carefully attentive to walking in the spirit, this drifting will happen slowly but surely over time. But how do we know we've drifted? Well, when we're at the beach, right, I set up my Tommy Bahama chair with my Mexican blanket and my umbrella, right? And I enter into the water and I'm floating around, stingray shuffle floating around, right? I know that I'm drifting away when I lose close proximity to my landmark. Oh, where is my umbrella? Where is my wife sitting? Oh, where's my chair? I know that I'm drifting when I realize I've been far away. Same thing with our relationship with the Lord. We know that we've drifted when we lose sight of our landmark. What's our landmark, brothers and sisters? Our landmark is intimacy and communion with Jesus. 
This is home base for us. This is Jesus' words in John chapter 15. Abide in me and I in you. Make your home. Let's make our home together. This is the intimacy, the landmark that we're so quickly uh, and tempted to drift away from. Intimacy with Jesus is our landmark. It's the heart that says with David in Psalm 27 verse 4. Out of all the things David could have chosen, he says, One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's the place of intimacy. That's our landmark. This is where we want to stay with the Lord. Again, this is a warning against the drift that happens slowly but surely, but it's also a warning against the consequences of drifting, which is living beneath your privileges as a believer. What are those privileges? Well, to start off, it's joy and trial. It's peace and the pain. It's the still small voice and the noise of the world. It's walking with him. It's, it's being with him. And to live beneath that breaks God's heart. God is a good God, a giving God, so much, in fact, that he gave his only son that we would have close connection and fellowship with him. Imagine the heartbreak of his heart when his children live beneath the privileges of being with him. I think that's what it kind of means when we quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to give us those good gifts. The Holy Spirit wants to instruct us in the way of righteousness. But when we say no and choose to drift, we're breaking God's heart. We're quenching the Spirit in our own life. This is a warning for us. Again, this book, this uh, warning was written to believers. So there's a real temptation to drift away. And I know that I'm speaking to myself because I've drifted. And and without careful attention to my relationship with the Lord, I will drift. And so whether you are drifting, have drifted, or will drift in the future, I pray that this would be a word to encourage you to come back to that landmark of intimacy with Jesus. But how do we do that? Number two, a word of instruction. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed Give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. To give the more earnest heed is written in the present and active voice. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, right, or or theologian, but I know how to use Blue Letter Bible and the Logos Bible software. And in the Koine Greek, uh, in which the New Testament was written, it was very precise. And so for this word, give the more earnest heed to be written in the present active voice means that you continually need to give the more earnest heed. It's not just a one-time giving heed. It's a continual giving heed to the things that you have heard lest you drift away. To give heed means to pay attention, to be alert, carefully consider, continue to believe, or continually give oneself unto. So it's a attentive waiting. It's a looking at. It's not a drive-by, but it's here I am, Lord. I'm paying attention to you. But specifically, it says, give the more earnest heed to the things you have heard or we have heard. Now, in the context of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1 has just finished. And so with that being uh, in the reader's mind as they read or as they listen to this being read aloud, we want to jump into their shoes about what they've heard. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. What did we just hear? Well, read with me Hebrews Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, this is commonly known as the 10 excellencies of Jesus Christ. 
give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. What did we just hear? Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. There's 10 excellencies. Let's take them five at a time. Number one, pay attention to Jesus as God's final word. Pay attention to Jesus as God's final word. Everything God wanted to communicate can be found in his son, period. That's it. There's no more further revelation to come. It's just Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. So if I want to hear God the Father, all I got to do is flip open to the gospels and look at Jesus and hear him. Jesus is God's final word. What a beautiful thing that we can hear God's voice by reading Jesus' words, by hearing his voice. Jesus is God's final word. Number two, Jesus is the appointed heir of all things. What does this mean? It all belongs to him. In this age and in the age to come, it all belongs to him. In the new heaven and in the new earth, it all belongs to him. He is what we're made for. By him, through him, for him, Paul would write in Romans. He is the appointed heir of all things. Number three, he's the creator. He's the creator. Wait, Pastor, and I thought God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. This is a proof text for one of the, 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 the Trinity arguments, right? That if God in Genesis 1-1 spoke and it was made, and Jesus is the creator of all the worlds, well, they must be one. And I love to be reminded of the greatness and majesty of Jesus. I, I confess, I think too small of Jesus sometimes. Because he has made himself Emmanuel, God with us, I almost make him common. And that's to my fault. That's to my detriment. Yes, he is near. Yes, he is God with us. But he's completely holy and worthy and majestic. And for us to consider him as someone common, we, we do him a disservice. We dishonor him. And we do ourselves a dishonor uh, of, of thinking small thoughts of Jesus. He's the creator of all things. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the word bara. He created from nothing. He spoke, and it was. This is our Jesus. Amazing. Number four, Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. I heard it translated, he's the brightest part of God's glory. If you were to imagine the brightest, most beautiful part of God's glory, that is Jesus. So poetically written by the author of Hebrews, that is Jesus. And what does God's glory look like? Well, John would say, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. The weight of God's glory, full of grace and truth. This is my Jesus. This is our Jesus. Number five, Jesus is the express image of God's person. He's the stamp. He's the mold of who God is. Again, if we want to know who God is, we want to see what God is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. If we were to put uh, the God mold and put the clay in there, what would pop out is Jesus, right? He is the exact imprint. He's the express image of God's person. But notice this also, the sixth excellency as we continue to make our way. Number six, Jesus is the upholder of all things. Let that sit in. He's the upholder of all things. All things means all, which includes you and me. And I love that truth that God is sustaining us. 
by the word of his power. Not in that statue, like that Atlas guy, right? He's holding the world on his back. Jesus is holding all things, sustaining all things by the very word of his power. And I I don't know about you, but I know about me. And I know that in 2023, I will experience trials and I will be tempted to think that God is not holding me. But the truth of God's word is that he is the sustainer of all things in the good and the bad and the highs and the lows. And that goes for you too. All of who God is, is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So let me prophesy over you. In 2023, you will have trials. I just know it. (laughs) But even in those trials, God will sustain. God will hold. Number seven of the 10 excellencies of Christ, Jesus is the purger of our sins. Completely cleansed. What a beautiful truth it is to realize and to walk in that I'm forgiven, that you're forgiven, that we are forgiven people. If we are in Christ Jesus, if we are a son of daughter of God, we are forgiven. We are purged. We are purged by his perfect blood. Any sin, past, present, or future, has already been forgiven by God. When Jesus said it is finished, it didn't mean he's almost done. No, it is finished. We are completely forgiven because of Jesus' sacrifice. All of our sins have been atoned for. The debt of our sin, which was death, has been paid for by Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. What a beautiful truth it is to understand that you are forgiven, that we are forgiven, that we are a forgiven people And we're forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus, which we'll celebrate later with communion. But I love the fact that Jesus' blood is unlike any other blood. It's eternal, which means we're continually forgiven. We're continually covered. I love the the saying that Jesus' blood doesn't uh, scab over. It doesn't get all crackly and crinkly on you. Jesus' blood washes over you, your mind, your conscience, your heart. This is the work of sanctification. This is what Jesus' blood does. Jesus, he's the purger of our sins. Number eight, Jesus is also seated at the right hand of God, a place of priority, a place of power, a place of priority, a place of authority. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Now, this is big news to the Jews, right? The book of Hebrews is written to primarily Jews because the high priest— would never sit down in the temple, in the holy place. It was called the mercy seat where they were supposed to sprinkle the blood, but they were not allowed to sit down because there was always work to be done. But when Jesus screamed from the cross, it is finished. The veil was torn from top to bottom. The work was completed. Therefore, Jesus can sit down in full authority, power, and understanding that there's no more work to be done. He is completely at rest. Your salvation is completely sealed if you're in him. There's no going back and forth or freaking out. No, Jesus is seated. And I love that Jesus is sustaining all things by the word of his power in a seated position. Oh, Lord, forgive us for thinking small thoughts about you. Jesus is completely in power. He's completely in control. In the turmoil that is to come in 2023, because Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Even in all those different things, Jesus remains in control. He remains faithful to himself. He cannot deny himself. He is the unchanging great I am. This is our Jesus. Jesus is also better than the angels. 
And I, I love the story of the angels in the, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but Jesus is not the messenger, uh, or like a created messenger. He is the messenger, right? He is God's final word. He is not a created being. He is the creator, which brings him higher than the angels. And the angels were pretty powerful. You see, there's some pretty crazy stories of angels in the Old Testament, how they were slain people and, you know, right? But Jesus, better than the angels. And last but not least, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the 10th thing, Jesus is the obtainer of a more excellent name. Why does he have an excellent name? Because his name is salvation. And in his name is eternal life. Paul would write in Romans chapter 10, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When you call upon Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, you are saved, both now and for forevermore, which is a beautiful thing. In his name, darkness flees. In his name, strongholds are broken down. In his name, addictions are set free. In the name of Jesus is so much power. And we stand under the banner of Jesus. Amen? The author of Hebrews is writing to people who were tempted to go away. Again, he's saying, hey, don't turn away. Don't drift away. Pay attention to Jesus. Here's the secret to Christianity. It's our banner up in the front. Simply Jesus. Simply Jesus. We, we tend to overcomplicate it, that we have to do this and that. It's just simply Jesus. As I look to Jesus, I see that he is everything I need and more. My grandma's been walking with the Lord for 80 plus years. She's in her mid-80s right now, and I asked her a couple years back, Grandma, what's the secret of, of walking with God? How have you done this? You know, she's been through ups and downs, loss of children, you know, a lot of different things. Grandma, what's the, what's the, um, the secret? And she goes, hey, remember the song that I used to sing in the house? And I remember, well, Grandma was a good singer. She, you know, she had that vibrato. <laughs> And grandma would sing around the house this song growing up in church. She would sing this as we were taking naps at her house as she was watching us. And the song was, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. She goes, this is the secret. And she sang it for me, and I'll sing it for you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus, as we turn our eyes upon him, he is everything that we need. Grandma's cool. She was also part of the, a team that was helping translate the New Testament into different Filipino dialects in the Philippines. So, so she's walked with the Lord. Grandma, if you're watching, we love you. We thank you for your, uh, your, your presence and your, your, your blessing in our lives. Um, but here's the secret. She's just saying what the author of Hebrews is saying. Look to Jesus. Pay attention to the things that you have heard, the greatness of who Jesus is. So we talked about a warning. We talked about the word of instruction and paying attention, giving them more earnest heed. But let's look at a wonderful grace because I think this needs to be communicated to you and I today. Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we don't have to swim back to God. When we've drifted or have drifted, it wasn't our own righteousness or our own strength or our own power swimming back to intimacy with God, you know, sailing over the different torrents of the waves. No, it was us just crying out, God, I need you, and grace rescues. We don't have to earn back 
right standing with him. The truth is we've never lost standing with him because his righteousness covers us. Now, we've maybe lived beneath our privileges, but we're still a son, right? The prodigal son was still a son. He was the lost son. So he was living beneath his privileges, but he was still a son. But when he chose to come back to God, or sorry, God is the picture of, the the father is the picture of God. When he chose to come back to the father in Luke chapter 15 in that parable, God didn't hold it over his head and say, hey, you have to earn back this right standing. And this was the lost son. That's what he was thinking about. Because remember the story. He was in the pig pen, right? He was there and he was starving and no one gave him anything to eat. He would eat the pig's food. And then he thought to himself, wait, wait, the benefits of my father's house, wait, there's servants there and they even have bread and enough to spare. So they're like, they're balling, right? And and I perish away here in, in, in hunger, I'm going to go back to my father's house, he's saying, and I'm going to say, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants, right? So he gets up, he goes back home, long journey. And what does the story say in Luke chapter 15? While he was still a far way off, the father saw him. And it was full of compassion. And running to him, what did the father do? He kicked him in the chest. No, he embraced him, right? He embraced him. He kissed him. He was hugging him. And then the younger son started with his speech again, his script. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before your side. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can get to the spot where he's supposed to earn his way back, make me like one of your hired servants, what does the father do? He says to the servants, get the best robe and put it on him. And get a ring for his finger. And get chanclas for his feet. Right? Get some sandals for his feet. And you know what, that, 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 that fattened calf, let's kill it and let's celebrate. For this, my son, he was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he is found. And they all began to celebrate. See, when the lost son chose to come home, cried out, here I am, the father accepted him. That's a word for us. Because I know that when I drift, my tendency is I have to now serve harder. I have to read more. I need to pray longer in order to earn back my right standing with God the Father. The truth is, no, I just have to come home. I'm already accepted in him. Amen? Amen. So this wonderful grace, how do we put it into action? Our application for today is, is really the, the encouragement in Hebrews chapter 4, which we, we know, but turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. What does it look like? to look to Jesus, to come to him in our need. It is to come to him boldly, vulnerable, knowing that he accepts us in his presence and gives us everything that we need. Look at this, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Again, another, another thing that he would say, hey, don't, don't turn away, just hold fast your confession. For why? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What does it look like for us to call out to the Lord? It's to say, Lord, here I am. I'm busting down the doors of the throne room of grace because I need you. And what does Jesus do? Here's grace. Here's mercy. Here's wisdom. Here's peace. Here's joy. Here's everything that you need here at my table. Come and feast. And Jesus gets it. 
He was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. He gets it. He gets the temptation to drift away. He gets the temptation of the current of the flesh and the current of the world. He gets those temptations to live beneath the privileges and settle for lesser comforts because it's immediate. He knows the temptation, but he knows it even to its fullest extent, and he still did not sin. So he gets it on every single level. Jesus gets you. And he says, hey, just enter boldly into the throne room of grace. I have everything that you need. Okay, so application today. Today, do you or someone you know, are they living beneath their privileges as a child of God? Are they drifting? Do you or someone you know, have they drifted away from God the Father? What would that look like? Again, I said loss of intimacy, loss of living in the the right standing of your privileges as a child of God. All those things I've experienced and it's not worth it. What does that look like? It's, it's, It's unnecessary pain that God is willing to heal and repurpose when we give it to him. So what is our remedy? Well, we need to give the more earnest heed to Jesus. So I ask today, what can you do today to better give the more earnest heed to Jesus tomorrow? This is a great time to start a Bible reading program, a a prayer journal or a prayer plan of some sort. It's a great time to get community and um, real, authentic accountability and counseling. This is kind of a new year as our fresh start, really, to... To make a plan, to not just let this current of the flesh and the world drift us away, but to remain close to the anchor of our souls, which is Jesus. What can you do today? Maybe it's setting an alarm of when you need to turn off social media and get to bed so you can get up on time and not hit the snooze ten times. This is me, right? And and, and forsake my Bible reading and prayer time. Maybe it's as simple as that. Or or, or maybe it's, I don't know where to start praying, so I'm going to ask a pastor, hey, what does your prayer life look like? Can you help me? Or or maybe it's getting that uh, that real authentic accountability with a trusted mentor or counselor. Hey, I'm just being honest. This is where I'm at. What do you need to do today in order to better give heed to Jesus tomorrow, to not drift away, to not live beneath your privileges, but to live the life that Jesus has redeemed for you? Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life more abundant. That's the life I want to live. So what can we do? But also this, when I ask, do you know someone who has drifted? I know that we're supposed to run this race together. The author of Hebrews would write later in Hebrews chapter 10, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren. Do you know someone who has drifted? What can you do today to better pray for them or encourage them to stick with the Father, to not throw away their relationship, not to neglect their so great a salvation. What can you do? Is it a text message to reach out? Is it a coffee sometime this next week to say, hey, how's it going? What's going on? I I know that the time is short. I know that the days are evil and we need to redeem the time. And so there's an urgency about what we need to do in making disciples, brothers and sisters. And so, yeah, do an inventory about yourself but then also think others because Jesus is hardest for the world as well. How can I better encourage someone in their relationship with the Lord? Is it firstly, I need to live by example? Probably so. But maybe it is just that conversation, that coffee date or whatever. But let's be a mobile church in 2023. Mobile in the way that we're about God's business, not mobile in the fact because we've drifted away. Mobile in the good sense, that we're pressing on in the kingdom of God for his glory. Amen? So church, as we take this time, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. 
We're going to have a time of communion. You should have received the little communion cup on your way in. If not, you can go back to the lobby, or, and the ushers in the foyer will have some extra communion cups. Uh, but what, what I would like for us to do is, after I pray and as we engage in worship through song, that we would do a self-inventory. Lord, where am I at in my proximity of closeness and intimacy with you? Have I drifted? If so, Lord, I've drifted. I confess, and I need to come back home. And allow the Holy Spirit to draw you back in to the closeness of the Father's heart. I know Jesus would say, abide in me, and I in you. I know Jesus would say that you are forgiven. Look at the cross. I know Jesus would say, here is my spirit that will enable you to walk in what my commandments are. I know Jesus will, will comfort you with repurposed identity. You are still a child of God. You're still a son. You're still a daughter of the Most High King. So hear the spirit as you confess and then take the communion. The little wafer is a representation of his body that was bruised, that was whipped, that was torn apart. The word of God says that by his stripes, by his, his, his flesh being torn, uh, by his stripes we are healed. So we're healed spiritually through that. But also we're forgiven also by his shed blood. Without the forgiveness of sins, uh, so without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. I'm, I'm sorry. So the cup reminds us of the blood that was shed, the blood that we've talked about, that repurposes us, that renews us, that doesn't scab over, that remains on us continually for eternity. And so take that self-reflection, take that time to take that communion, and then when you're done, the worship team will have all of us stand up in one chorus at the end and just proclaim God's goodness. Amen? So, Father, here we are. Lord, we need you. More than yesterday, more than last year, we need you today. And, Lord, we need you for this year. Lord willing, we need you, Lord, for tomorrow's breath and for, for tomorrow's portion. We look to you. Lord, declutter our lives. Lord, give us a sensitivity to your spirit. I pray, Jesus, that you would blow our minds of how beautiful and awesome you are. Lord, help us not to think those small thoughts towards you. Help us to think biblical thoughts about you and respond with surrender and obedience. We need you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We pray that you'd help us to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray and we say, amen.